Well, hello, friends, and welcome to the Why the Arts Matter podcast. We're so excited that uh, we're here for our first official episode and interview. Uh, and our guest today is Hannah Dougal, uh, who is in the process of creating and producing and editing and putting together in all formats uh, the documentary called Why the Arts Matter, um, sort of the companion project to this podcast. Uh, Hannah actually had that idea first, um, and this podcast idea came second. Um, so Hannah, welcome to the show. Uh, it's so great to have you in our first official episode. Yes, hi, I'm super excited. <laughs> so I think to kick things off, um, the first question I wanna ask all the guests on the show and I think this will get to many of the details that we want to talk about today. Um, but my first question is always going to be just to have the guests talk a little bit about their experiences in the arts growing up, whether that was in public school, whether that was in elementary school or middle school or high school. I know you have quite an extensive background, um, but if you could just start by talking about your experiences in uh, the arts growing up, um, and then maybe how that's informed your worldview or opinion on um, the arts in our society today. Yeah, okay, so um, I grew up in somewhat of a small town, and the I would say that the arts, there's things that are offered, but for someone that um, aims to kind of take a creative path, I think that they're really wasn't enough for me. Um, I obviously like every kid in elementary school and stuff, we do like the music classes and things like that. But right around middle school is really when my involvement started to grow even more. Um, I was in choir in middle school for both years, but that was when I first started writing my own songs. And then on top of that, because I was writing my own songs, I also wanted to learn instruments so I started to learn how to play piano um, after that and going into high school I started out in choir and was in a in choir um, throughout my years there I was in the uh, female acapella group and the show choir um, and then I also got to be in the women's chorus and the senior choir and then my senior year of high school, I had the opportunity to be the one of the jazz band singers. And so that was really fun for me to kind of experience a different form. Um, and then I also was able to um, be involved in drama and in art classes. I didn't start taking any art classes because of schedule conflicts until my junior and senior year. And then I started in drama in my sophomore year. So um, I was an officer for drama club and for the Triumph Music Honor Society. And then I also got to kind of do a lot of fun projects and stuff that connected all of those elements what, because of my art classes and the things like that. And I would say that the the probably the most impactful um, area of art that I experienced in my high school years 
was probably, I would say it was drama for me because it kind of informed my decision into what I really wanted to do. And although every aspect of the arts for me was super important, <laughs> um, I still think that drama kind of stood out to me in the sense that that was the first time that I really got to like sit down and design something, which is what I kind of saw myself doing in my future. So, yeah. Wonderful. So it directly set up, what I hear from that is it directly set up your career decision in that case, as far as what you were able to be exposed to in middle school and high school, and then what you chose to uh, major in in college. Um, yeah, so my, I, I knew for a long time that I really wanted, like, I, I obviously love singing and writing music, but I wasn't sure how to kind of get to where I wanted to be with that. So my involvement in drama kind of stemmed and eventually grew into um, my current major. So wonderful, wonderful. And your current major is? I'm a film production major, and I have an arts and design minor that I planned myself, which basically means that I'm just taking all arts and design classes. Wonderful, wonderful. So can you talk a little bit about how you translated those experiences in uh, primarily high school uh, mm -hmm. to the uh, sort of this idea of telling that story through a documentary? Um, sort of talk, maybe we can talk a little bit about the documentary idea and how... Yeah. Um, how that came to be and what you, maybe you noticed in high school in those programs you were involved with that led you to want mm -hmm. to tell that story. Yeah. So I, throughout high school, I, I noticed that there was many kids that this was influencing and it was really powerful to them. And it was something that meant a lot to them. And I felt like, I related to that in that sense, but I felt like there was nothing discussing or talking about this in a broader sense. There was no, there was no one really talking about what the arts do for high schoolers specifically. And so when I went into my first year of college, I ended up having a class, a producing class where we had to do a final project um, and kind of make our own film, but we didn't actually have to follow through and make it. We just had to do like the plans for it. And when I was sitting down and thinking about it, you know, a lot of coming up with just ideas for like fiction films and things like that. And when I was sitting down and thinking about it, I was like, you know, want to make something that I'm not passionate about. And I don't, I don't want to make something that that doesn't really mean anything to me. So then it kind of brought me back to this idea that I did have in high school because, you know, my involvement in the arts kind of was already setting myself up for this in the future. Um, but I decided to make this documentary. And for a while I was like, well, I don't I don't know what to call this documentary. I don't know if I should just focus on my high school or if I should focus on multiple high schools. But then I realized that it's such a personal experience. It needs to focus on my high school. And when it came to naming it, I was like, well, why, why the arts matter? Because 
the arts do matter to so many people. And I don't think that it's recognized enough to its full potential. Sure. That's, that's really awesome that we were able to, you were able to turn in, uh, turn that project like that in, in your class into a, into an actual, um, yeah. to an actual product instead of it just uh, staying an idea. So that's really, that's really yeah. Um, so can you talk about, if you had to maybe boil down the themes of the documentary, I know it's still in production at the moment, but uh, mm -hmm. I understand there were many interviews that, um, that have happened already. If you had to boil down the themes uh, that emerged from creating the documentary so far, as far as those elements of why the arts matter, is there any mm -hmm. sort of consensus from the work you've done so far as to um, maybe discovering some actual, you know, step-by-step -step ideas or some overarching concepts um, in the work you've done uh, to sort of answer that question that, that is the title of, you know, both this podcast and that documentary? Yeah, so I think that some of that we heard from past students, current students, and current teachers, um, I think that a lot of them were agreeing on the fact that the arts are underfunded and underappreciated, especially in a high school um, scenario. And I think what's really interesting about that is you can look at facts and statistics that are showing that there's more opportunity for the arts in elementary and then sort of going into middle school. But when you get to high school, there's much more of a push of you need to focus on this and you need to be, um, you know, taking math and science and English classes and whatnot. And while all important, the arts is kind of taking a back seat to that. And so I think one interviewed have kind of agreed on the sense that there needs to be some sort of um, opportunity or um, way for the principals and for um, school district to see what the arts are doing for people because they truly transform people's education. And so I think that some of the really interesting things that were brought up was that Things like, for example, at our high school, they did a big art show and they did it from all grades. And I thought that all the art teachers were saying that it was something that was really impactful for them because it was the one time of the year where they really got to show what the students were doing and how transformative their work throughout their entire school year has been for them. And I just think it's um, interesting that they art can do an event like that, but then it's really hard for choir to do an event like that unless you have people that are coming to support you for that. So it's just an interesting concept, really, because um, a lot of people are brainstorming ways to get people to understand the power of the arts and how do we get them to come to these events and to come to um, these things that we're putting on to get them to see that, you know? Right, 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 right. So there's sort of two follow-up questions based on what you said. I think I'll go with the, uh, the most recent one that, that you sort of got to there at the end. When we talk about, 
getting people to understand arts. Mm-hmm. Um, understand to me is a big sort of umbrella word um, that implies a yeah. lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of think that in order to really get folks to understand the different uh, elements of arts education, they have to experience it themselves. Um, and if they if they don't experience it, um, if they don't experience, you know, for example, from my, my role as a teacher, um, the best way to understand what I'm doing in my classroom is to come watch me teach in my classroom, right? It's harder to describe and it's easier for people to just see it happening. And so I'm wondering, um, as we think about this from a variety of disciplines, from, you know, dance to visual art, to performing arts, to, you know, all of the different arts disciplines, I just wonder Mm -hmm. if as people are trying to understand what's happening, if they just default to their own experience. And so if they had a negative yeah. experience in elementary school, that's why I always want to start the interviews with folks talking about their own experience, because if, if that experience was at all negative or that they were told by their teacher that they quote unquote weren't talented or, you know, some sort of comment was made that they weren't. Artistic, mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that that negatively impacts the importance of the arts because we have then alienated that person from mm-hmm. uh, from engaging in the arts in the future. Well, I, my sixth grade music teacher told me that I couldn't sing in tune, so I can't sing. Or my fourth grade <laughs> art teacher told me that I didn't know how to draw, so I can't possibly right. draw you a picture. And so I think we right. set ourselves up for failure in the future by the way that sometimes, it, who knows, but uh, this is only a theory, but sometimes because <laughs> of how we as teachers teach and and, right. and explain concepts to our students and encourage their talents and all of those things. And so I was curious right. if that concept came up in uh, some of these interviews as far as us talking about that concept of getting people to quote unquote understand what mm-hmm. they're doing. I guess that's my question yeah. is if you notice that theme. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that there has been a couple different interviewees that have mentioned an experience that they had that wasn't necessarily a positive experience for them, but because of maybe some of their former experiences or some of their outside experiences that aren't through, you know, a school, they don't want to give up on what um, they're doing because they know how they feel about it and they know what it's doing for them, you know? And I think that on the other spectrum of what you're saying, um, there are people that don't have any uh, prior experience in the arts. And I think those are the people, because based off of what your theory, I think that yes, there's most people probably do have some sort of experience in the arts, most likely through their younger childhood, like school years. Um, But I also think that as you get older, you don't have as much um, experience in that. And so I think that to get people to understand the power of the arts is a really important that as well, because I think that because of how out, and I don't want to say out of touch is a bad thing, but out of touch in the sense that they haven't had that sort of experience in a very long time. 
they aren't aware what is even going on in these programs. They don't know what you're doing. They don't know, like if they came into your classroom, they could be totally surprised that this is what you're doing in your classroom. You know what I mean? And I think that that happens a lot with um, drama clubs specifically, because I don't think that many schools really understand what's going on in a drama club and how much work goes into that alone to put on productions and such. Right, right. And so it's sort of that um, people are aware. I think what you're alluding to there is that people are aware of the product, but they're not necessarily mm -hmm. aware of the process. And that's something yes, I think yes. about all the time. How can we translate? That's the other concept that I'm thinking about here is that how can we as artists and as arts educators and as people who are informed arts advocates, how can we translate? How can we be the translators, right? And explain what is happening. What's and going on. And explain the process and show the process in a way that is engaging and relevant. I don't think mm -hmm. we can assume that mm -hmm. the process is always going to be or is going to look accessible, is going to look participatory. If you don't oh, right. you speak the language, that's the other reason I use the word translate. If you don't speak the language of whatever discipline you're talking about, it's not going to make any sense to somebody who doesn't know anything about that subject area. We might as well be speaking a foreign language in that classroom if the person doesn't know how to understand what is happening uh you don't right you've never right. sung in a choir before and i start using all of these terms that you don't know what they mean it, i mean that's that's useless to understanding the subject area and so how can we be translators i think the challenge that we're issuing here uh to our audience is how can we be translators of the arts uh and, and really make it as accessible as possible to people who um, may either have a negative experience or better yet, we hope, no experience so that they're coming at this from a neutral place and can explain mm -hmm. why what we're doing is exciting and relevant and all. Yes. Yeah. Um, great. Great. Well, that's, that's awesome. I feel like that's already a wonderful takeaway from the interview um, as far as how we can look at our own fields um, and, uh, and gather that mindset as, a, as an arts community. Um, great. So I think shifting now to another topic, um, I wonder how we can help support not only this project, but, but what, are, what are some actionable steps? Uh, what do you see as the uh, end game, so to speak, of this project, of this documentary? What is your goal? I mean, obviously, our overarching goal is to is to convince people that the arts matter, sure. But, but that's yes. not gonna happen overnight. Uh, so, right. so what do you see as um, some tangible action steps that we might share with our listeners today um, to encourage them um, in that process of convincing folks uh, that the arts matter in their own community or even in their state or, or our country as a whole? Right. So I think that the first step to to that process is recognizing what already exists 
And I think that the only way to do that really is to see the opportunities that are being given to students and to compare maybe to um, several other places that are also giving similar or maybe they're giving better opportunities. So I think that if you recognize what exists and to kind of process how that compares to a state level or the country level, then I think that that kind of is the starting point. Um, after that, I, th I really think that my goal with this documentary as a whole is to just advocate for the arts, because I think that something that is a very common theme that we're seeing, not just through the school I went to, but from schools everywhere, is that the arts are not being funded as well as they should be. And so I think that this is hopefully a good starting conversation to that debate on should the arts be funded more or should they or should we keep it at this neutral level? Um, I think that that is really my goal with that because on a state level, I know what I know a little bit about what's happening, but I also know that on a country level, there's not much push to continue to fund even more so with the arts. I think that the only way that really happens is by starting these conversations. What can we do to recognize what already exists? How can we actually get that to be more, uh, to, to give more opportunities and to be more successful? Um, and then I also think that Another important aspect um, that I want people to see from this documentary is just general appreciation, because I think that because there's so many people that do not have prior experience in the arts or have negative experience in the arts, I think it's really important to also get them to appreciate what's going on, because the arts is not, it's not something that you can really compare to you know, the gen general education type of classes. It's, it takes on an entirely different meaning. And I think that to get people to kind of understand and appreciate what it's doing, I think that that's going to be a really powerful thing that and eventually could lead to the, the funding um, process and hopefully lead to schools developing more programs for their students as well. Sure, sure. Well, a lot of a lot of actionable steps and, and several things to pick apart there. Um, so I'll, I'll actually start from from the first concept we got to this time and maybe we'll work our way forward. I want to I want to <laughs> pick apart um, the, what you said about comparing to districts around you a little bit. And then I also yeah. want to pick apart the issue of funding, because I think those are two um, really interesting points that you raise. And I think that, as you say, there are there are certain things both at the state level here in Ohio and then at the national level that, uh, that allude to both of those points. Um, so when we talk about comparing um, from district to district, um, this would be a great time uh, to share a project uh, that was just recently unveiled as a collaboration here in Ohio between the Ohio Arts Council, the Ohio Department of Education, and the Ohio Alliance for Arts Education. Uh, Hannah and I are mm -hmm. both on the board of the Ohio Alliance. Um, and so we're both aware of a new project called the Ohio Arts Education Data Project, and I'll be sure to include uh, a link to uh, the website that that data project sort of lives at online 
in the show notes for this episode. But what that allows all of us to do as citizens is go into an interactive dashboard and do the comparing that Hannah is talking about. You'll be able to click on county, um, county by county analysis. Um, you'll be able to compare district to district across our state. You'll be able to um, break down the data by, um, you know, how many, for example, how many high schoolers as a composite group have access to a certain area of participation, whether that's visual art or um, choral music or instrumental music or dance or theater, all of those things. Um, it analyzes all of this data through uh, EMIS, which is our, our data reporting system here in Ohio for, for how many students are in each class every year and all of that uh, data that gets reported to the state. So um, when we think about that, Hannah, I'm curious, and this is something that I've thought a lot about since that project was unveiled. I wonder how we can... Um, encourage people not only to use that dashboard, but also to understand and analyze the data that they are seeing on the screen, right? I think that first mm -hmm. step in the process is obviously getting that dashboard up and running. And I think that's a huge achievement. And uh, we owe a great debt of thanks to all of the people that made that happen. But then what are the, mm -hmm. what are the next steps here and how do we, um, encourage people to use that dashboard in a way that encourages the importance of the arts and encourages conversations like we're having right now, instead of just clicking, because what I picture people doing instead of going to that next level of analysis is just going to the dashboard and looking at their own district and thinking, oh, good, you know, we're, we're, we're solid, right? It doesn't look like we have any, there's no apparent, um, big thing that's missing in our district. There's nothing that makes us mm -hmm. inferior. And it looks like we're right on par with the people around us. So it looks fine. Okay, great. I'm really busy. I'm going to go move on to something else. Right. And so how right. do we, how do we analyze those, that reporting and how do we raise awareness for people to go in and explore and I don't know if there's a good answer to that, but I figured I'd bring it up because it's something I've been thinking about a lot since that dashboard was published. And I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, that we can encourage the listeners to do on their own or any of that, anything of that. Yeah, I actually think that the first step into that is to, yes, you can look at your district and, you know, see how your district is doing in that sense. But I also think that it's important to look at the schools that are around you as well, because there might be a school that is, is statistically doing better than you. And why? I think that the question to ask there is why are they doing, what are they doing that's different than what we're doing at this school? Um, and how can we how can we um, start a conversation with them on what should we be doing better to make sure that we're getting students more involved in the arts? And I think that that's something really interesting, especially for um, the school that I went to. I noticed that a lot that the schools around us were doing um, much better. They had, you know, performing arts center centers and things like that. And so I think that that's kind of how you start that conversation. And I think that it's important to use data like that because you can, yes, you can look at your district, but then if you can look at how it compares to the people around you, then as an advocate, I personally would 
go ahead and be like, okay, now I'm going to reach out to these schools and figure out what they are doing and maybe come up with some solid steps or solid conversations to take to, um, you know, the uppers in the school to uh, talk about what we can do to like involve more students in the arts. And I also think that not only can you look at that for the schools around you, but there are plenty of um, arts only schools in most of the states. And I think that we can kind of uh, use them as an example and ask them questions because I think that a lot of people just kind of are accepting what um, they have. And I think it's important to always push for that growth, you know? Right, 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 right. I think that's a great idea. And I think we can, we can use that comparison, like you say, to our advantage and to share ideas. I think that's, that's great. And so the data becomes a conversation starter instead of just something that lives on this dashboard. Yes, exactly. The website and, and instead we're using it to, um, to really transform what's happening. Well, that's awesome. So I think then that's a great segue as you're talking about the why of what exists and what doesn't exist. I think that's a great segue to the other thing that I wanted to pick apart in your answer, which is, uh, which is funding and mm -hmm. how we look at funding and, and the, and all of those related issues, there's so many of them mm -hmm. with funding. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, because there's, uh, for our listeners that are, that are wondering what I'm alluding to there, I guess I should explain that I, I feel like there are so many layers. There's, there's school funding uh, and how schools are funded is a separate process than, for example, a state arts council or direct government mm -hmm. money to support the arts in society and so I feel like there's there's many others as well but as I think about this issue there are two um two things that we talk about in advocacy work and the one that gets the most attention at the national level is the National Endowment for the Arts and all of those programs yes. that are federally yeah. funded um and that's an evolving discussion even right now as we're as we're mm -hmm. living in a world where we just had a sort of emergency bill signed to continue funding the federal government for a few more weeks so that there wasn't a shutdown. And so that's the type of the, the NEA and all of those things are those national programs um, that are always a part of the conversation um, when we talk about funding the federal government. Uh, but I think the mm -hmm. other issue that maybe gets at more of the grassroots uh, effort is this school funding piece, because then that has a, a big impact on uh, the funding of um, arts programs and, and what is able to be funded by the community. Is the community able to build a performing arts center? Are we able to build facilities for teachers right. and all of those things? That has to do with school funding at the district level, which here in Ohio is, uh, is right. the, the levies that are, that are voted on by the community in that particular district. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, what I'm getting at is uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate with you for a minute um, because I think some people that I talk to say that the arts are not something that should be publicly supported um, and that people will, if people are encouraged to sort of be patrons, right? There's this sort of like patron model or this sort of uh, yeah. funded model, right? Of like the people will donate or the people will um, 
sort of find their own ways to be involved in the arts, right? I don't need to have a choir program at my school because my son or daughter could be involved in choir uh, at the local college community music school or some other community-based um, community activity that gets at those same goals, right? Yeah. I could take voice lessons. Um, there's so many other ways. When I talk to some people about arts funding, um, they sort of bump up against my feeling of that the arts should be publicly funded and supported um, because they feel that if people want to find an outlet for those things, they can spend the money on their own. Why should I support, why should I pay money for something that I'm not going to participate in myself? Now, that argument gets a right. lot of other things we've already talked about, but I'm curious specifically it, to your response related to the funding piece, um, you know, federal, mm -hmm. at the federal level and at the state level, why do you think, I have my own opinions on this clearly, but I'm curious to your take, <laughs> why do you think it's important for funding to be publicly supported as opposed to privately supported when it relates to the arts? Right. Well, I think that the first uh, answer to that is that not all students can go somewhere else to do that. I think that, yes, there's a lot of community-based um, you know, places that you can go to. But again, most of the uh, most of those examples that you were giving was, oh, I can go take, you know, vocal lessons or whatever, and I can go and pay for that myself instead of having to, you know, be a part of this like public funding here. Well, I think that when that happens, when you go somewhere else, that's coming directly out of your pocket. And that's for only your kid but I feel like when it's in a school um, you know scenario I think that that's benefiting more than one student there's plenty of students that aren't going to be able to afford to go somewhere else and may not have parents that are or don't think that they're talented enough to do that and that's entirely why a system like this in school so that kids can feel comfortable to do these comfortable to you know to just take class they don't feel like they have to be professionals or they don't feel like they have to you know be have a certain level of talent already they know that they can go in this environment and continue to learn and I think on top of that to add to your um, conversation on funding, I also think that the reason why funding within the arts is so important is because as a student that came out of those programs, it's very obvious when you know that you don't have enough or you're constantly fighting for the attention of your school or whatever to get them to help you out. Or, you know, in, in a drama club, for example, all of the, all the money that you have really comes from how well you do. And so I think that as a student that came out of those programs, it's a really stressful situation to feel like, it is relying on you to get the funding for these things. And, you know, if, if I don't do um, fundraising, then we're not going to get to do this. You know what I mean? And I just think that we're putting this level of pressure on students to, to 
feel like they're responsible for this when really we're trying to give as much opportunity to as many students as we can. And that's why I don't think it should be privately supported because we, we want students to, you know, feel like they're a part of a community and in part of an environment that they're comfortable. Right. And so I think what I hear from that answer uh, is that privately funding or, you know, like you're saying, fundraising and all of those things, that mm-hmm. point, private, a, a sort of private funding model um, mm-hmm. has a huge, huge potential of becoming a very, very big barrier to access really fast. Um, yes. If, if it's done in a way that is not, you know, supported by everyone. Um, I think yes, absolutely. Too. And so access to the arts becomes something that is... Uh, than something that belongs only to people then who have that money. And so mm-hmm. we move to, uh, and I talk about this in choral music all the time. Um, there's the stereotype um, that, that there's this sort of elitist mentality um, and, and that, you know, it's sort of exclusive. Mm-hmm. There's there's a, there's a model of music and the arts for only an exclusive view, and so I think when we talk about that exclusivity model, I feel like private funding, a private funding model, only makes that exclusive uh, and elite mindset worse, because you're you're feeding more into the that mentality of you can only participate in this activity if you have the money to uh, to be able to participate in that activity. And then it just continues the vicious cycle over and over again of uh, reinforcing that um, that mentality. So um, that's a really interesting, interesting concept that we're both getting to there. I think it's an interesting point that's emerging. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, that's that's a that's an interesting interesting way to look at that in in the funding sense. All right, Hannah. Before we wrap up the interview, uh, I just want to circle back to the idea of this documentary and podcast uh, being linked uh, in some ways. Um, so I think it's important for everybody to understand, uh, that the podcast is actually an extension of the documentary and that the documentary came first. Uh, even though the documentary is not fully complete yet, um, the conversations (laughs) on the podcast are intended to be an extension of the conversations that, uh, Hannah had in the production of the documentary. And am I getting, am I getting that right, Hannah? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. So that is what we're yeah, trying to do with wonderful. that. Yeah. So where can people go for further uh updates and news on the production of the documentary? There's a Facebook page, right? Yes, there is a Facebook page if you just search why the arts matter or you can do like at why the arts matter doc um and it'll show up on there. We will be updating that Um, pretty soon because we've been in the process of editing that and um, getting uh, original music done for that so so an instagram if you're into that and i believe that's also just at why the arts matter okay so great 
Great. Well, that's the place to go for further updates. Um, as far as the podcast is concerned, uh, we're going to aim to publish a new interview every week. Um, at this point, this one will be published uh, around December 8th or 9th. Um, we're recording here on December 8th, so hopefully it can get published tonight. Um, and so the podcast is available um, on all of your podcast apps, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, the Google Podcast uh, um, app as well, the native podcast app on your Android phone, um, as well as Stitcher and a bunch of those other podcasting apps. I'm an Apple podcast guy myself, so just go to Apple Podcasts and press subscribe. <laughs> Hannah knows that I'm an Apple fan in every way. Um, but if you listen on Stitcher, it's also there. I know there are lots of folks that love Stitcher uh, to uh, listen to their podcasts. Um, so really anywhere uh, that podcasts are available, uh, you can find uh, this, this podcast as well. Um, show notes um, will uh, also be posted uh, through uh, the Anchor platform. Um, but also, um, hopefully soon, uh, I'll be able to post show notes uh, on my website, which is mattersjustinthearts.com. And you should be able to go to um, some specific pages on that website and be able to navigate the show notes. We're still working on getting that up and running, um, but I will be sure to um, reference that in the next episode and let you know um, where we're going in that regard on, um, on that uh, on that platform there on the website. So uh, keep your eye on that as well. All right. Well, Hannah Dougal, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the Why the Arts Matter podcast today. You're kind of the one that created this anyway. Uh, so <laughs> that you're our first guest. Um, do you have any other uh, parting words or any words of wisdom to our arts advocates out there before we go? <laughs> no, I just wanted to say thanks for having me. And um, as always, always uh, remember to recognize, advocate, and appreciate the arts. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. All right. Thanks, Hannah. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. All right. Um, well, that was our interview with Hannah Dougal. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, in your app of choice. Um, and we will see you next week. Go out there and advocate, friends. Have a great day.